We've had a great lineup the past few weeks of some premium name brand preachers, and uh, so unfortunately this week you are stuck with the Costco version of a staff member, which means that you're getting a whole lot more of me today than what you planned on, but it's a great value, so hopefully we will have a great time in the text this morning. We are finishing up our series in Christian leadership. We're going to be in um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, so if you want to go ahead and open to that, we will hop in there in a second. Um, this is a great is a great chapter because Paul is painting a really cool picture of what a leader looks like. He gives us kind of a portrait of what we sh- what we should expect a leader to look like. And um, if any of you have ever had a portrait painted of you, so if there's any monarchs or people of note in the room, then you've probably had a portrait painted of you where you've had to sit. And one of the things about having a portrait painted of you is that you want to make sure that everything that is painted is correct, that the upside of having a picture taken or maybe the uh, downside is that um, it looks exactly like you. And so the closest I've ever come to have a portrait painted of me was I got suckered into having a caricature um, drawn of me on the streets of New York. Um, I think it's probably because I have some very obvious features that a caricature artist is probably like, yes, easiest thing ever. I have a nose that a um, woman in Israel told me would make a Jewish mother proud. Um, I have um, ears that I am not lying. If I put my head out the window in the car on the highway, they flop a little bit. So like it is an easy thing for a caricature artist to go ahead and just exaggerate because God exaggerated for them. And so it wasn't hard for them. So when I got the picture back, I was able to see myself in the picture. At the same time, I had a friend who also had her picture drawn, and we got it back, and there were a lot of exaggerated things, but none of, like, there was nothing in the picture that looked like her. And so one thing that Timothy was running into was there were all of these false teachers basically doing caricatures of the truth of the gospel. Some of them had just enough truth that if you looked really hard, then you could still see Jesus. Some of them were so off base that it was unrecognizable as the truth of the gospel. And so Timothy was running into these issues as a leader, as a young leader in a patriarchal um, Uh, society where his age was a limiting factor in many ways. And so he was really struggling with it. And so this is a letter of encouragement to Timothy from Paul. And um, there were a lot of things that were coming into question like diet and marriage and all of these things that God intended to be enjoyed by those who, who who love him and weren't meant to be restrictions for leadership or for even being a Christian, but they were being taught. And so, um, and so at this point in the letter, we're going to start in verse, in verse, in verse six, we find Paul encouraging Timothy here, um, painting a portrait of some things to look for in a leader. And we're going to look at three main things here. So if you would start in verse um, In verse 6 with me, we um, will read to verse 16. 
So starting in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So from the beginning, Paul hits Timothy right where it hurts for many of us. And that is discipline, that a leader should be disciplined. And the reason I know discipline is hitting us where it hurts is because I have been in the office suite when a large Randazzo's king cake makes its way into the break room. My office is right across the hall from it. And I kid you not, it takes about an hour and a half. And this is like the big one. And we don't have that many people in the office. Even the baby's gone, which I'm going to attribute to gluttony, not to the fact that someone um, didn't want to bring the next king cake. Discipline is hard for all of us. And It is something that we all need training in. It is not something that comes natural to us. And so in verses 6 and 7, Paul speaks about this spiritual training, about filling ourselves up with words of the faith, having nothing to do with with irreverent, silly myths. The only way that we can fill ourselves up with truth is from here. We can get a lot of things from a lot of other places, but unless we are filling ourselves up with spiritual truth, eating the nutrients of spiritual truth, then we will end up straying. One of the things that the false teachers were teaching at this time was that they were either forbidding marriage or they were forbidding certain things from being eaten. And that, um, that was a restriction for those who uh, wanted to come to faith or who wanted to be in leadership. And so Paul says in verse 3 that these were foods and things that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so we want to receive the good things and we want to not ingest, not take in all of these things that are not true. And it's very easy for us to say, oh, it's just, it's just one lie. It's just one instance of greed. I had a classmate um, up at LSU, Go Tigers, tonight at 
uh, 7 p.m. on ABC and ESPN, come on. And so I had a classmate up at LSU who was a cheerleader, so he was in great shape, and we were in an exercise physiology class, and we were planning a workout for our class, and there was a group of us, and we were all talking about workout regimens and things like that, and he was in great shape, and so there were a lot of things about him that a lot of people in the group were like, how do you get this? How do you maintain this? How do you get big arms? How do you get a six-pack? All of these things, and so he said, so he was outlining his like exercise routine. He was talking about what the trainers at LSU did, and he said, but y'all, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what the secret is, and we're like, what? He's like, cake. I had to stop eating cake. And we're like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Like, like all cake? Like, we're talking zebra cake, pancake, wedding cake, birthday, all the cakes, cookies, cookie cake, whatever. For a college guy, that's a big sacrifice, right? And so we were like, oh, man. And so he said, yeah, my roommate offered me a piece of cake last night. I slapped it out of his hand. I said, no. And so he was... He was disciplining himself kind of extremely. He could have just said no, but it was, it, was, it, it was him rejecting the bad things for him. He knew that would not help him achieve his goal. He knew even though it was only one piece, typically it's not only one piece, right? But it's only one piece, and what harm could that do? He knew that even one was bad for him and his goal. And so in a very similar way in our spiritual lives, we can write off one, and then one more, and then one more sin, and then one more habit, one more whatever. And sooner or later, we're actually taking in more bad things than good. And so it's not just enough to take in the good things. We also want to actively reject taking in the lies that the enemy feeds us. And so then in verse 10, Paul says, to this end, we toil and we strive. Why? Because we know where our hope is. Let's hear from our panel. All right. Good morning. So we have a panel here of uh, representatives from our church that are leaders in our church and in the community. I want to introduce them to you first, and uh, then we've got some questions for you. So uh, this is Devin Bennett. He is a father, he is the director of operations at uh, STEM NOLA, and he's also a family advocate. This is Quell Jenkins, she's a student, she uh, has co-founded a Bible ministry, she's a uh, neighborhood act, act advocate, and um, she also leads a Bible study at her um, community. This is Guy Williams, he's the CEO of Gulf Coast Bank, he is uh, one of our Bible study teachers and a leader in the community. And then next we have Hannah Pounds. She is uh, a doctor and the medical director of Baptist Community Health Services and a mother and uh, teaches in the youth. And then next to her is her husband, Jerry Pounds. He uh, teaches in the youth as well, is a father, and uh, is a rheumatologist and a leader of his practice there. So this is our panel here. I want to start off by just asking you, what is a verse that has really helped you as you've developed into a leader? Uh, Devin, would you answer that for us first? Yeah, absolutely, um, and good morning. Um, there's a couple of verses for me, too, to be exact. Um, Matthew 6, uh, starting at verse 33 and 34, to seek ye first the kingdom 
um, and righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Um, also, there is Matthew 10, starting at uh, 34 as well. And it talks about, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Um, and it goes on to, if you love your mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of me. Take up your cross and, and deny yourself and follow me. The reality for me in that is that I believe he's given us direction um, and given us the spiritual posture that we need to live this life, um, just to be uh, who he called us to be. And, and for me, that is uh, what I look to, what I lean to daily, just to have the position that I need to be in for him and to be the example that I need to be. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Chloe, what about you? What are some verses? Um, my, the verse that I find valuable as a leader is um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and I'm going to read it for you. Awesome. Um, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, glor his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. And um, I like that because I feel like it emphasizes the power of God, and it also um, encourages believers, especially yeah. new believers. So yeah. I share that a lot. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Thank you. What about you, God? What is a verse that has helped you as a leader? Uh, Micah 6.8. He's shown you, O man, what is required. Do justice. Love mercy walk humbly with your God. The reason I like that is it simplifies things. You know, we tend to complicate our lives. This cuts it down to That's the right. essentials. That's right. You know, do the right thing, love mercy and kindness, and walk humbly with God. Yeah. You got it. That's the basics. All right, Hannah, uh, tell us your verse. Okay. Psalm 16, 7 through 8 says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. And personally, I've just been in training or in times in my life in a leadership role where I've needed the strength of God working through me, even in the night season in the hospital when, you know, um, it felt somewhat alone. Um, I always knew I wasn't alone, that the Lord had given us counsel during the day and counsel through our studies and counsel through the reading of his word. And then our heart would instruct us in the night season. And then um, just no matter what happened in our situations, whether in work, life, family, um, the position of having God at our right hand, uh, we would never have to be moved from that position regardless of circumstances. So um, that's a verse that's given me a great deal of strength. And then Philippians 2.13 says, it is for God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So a lot of days I thank God for going to work 
through me when I'm not feeling up, you know, to all the tasks myself and um, in the family. I have to thank God for, you know, working through me when, again, I don't feel up to the tasks myself. So these verses have provided a lot of strength based on the truth of the word. That's right. Thank you. And what about you, Jerry? Yeah, so I think uh, in in looking back over the nine years of our marriage um, and then the last four as being parents, uh, one verse that has really struck me uh, is 1 Corinthians 11.1, and it's Paul when he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so with that, um, you know, we kind of look through Scripture and say, well, what's the example of Christ? And that's very clear and already been alluded to this morning. Uh, that his example was as a servant leader. And, and throughout the gospel, you know, he even said, you know, son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. So I think that's sort of been a life first for the last uh, several years. That's great. All right, we're going to stay right there with you, Jerry. We know that as leaders, sometimes we maybe fall into a trap and believe these myths about leadership that kind of trap us. Um, have you ever found that? And what are some ways that, what, what's maybe a myth that you've believed about leadership and how have you combated that? Yeah, so... Um, so like Hannah, so we, we're physicians and we've come through a, a long bit of schooling and training and, and such. And I think, uh, you know, Satan in general is very crafty and, and I think he likes to sideline us and disqualify us often even before our ministry uh, has taken off. And so I think about being a young person and sort of buying into the lie that, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're too young, you're not influential. You don't have a sphere of influence, you know, just work on training, don't, you know, don't get involved. Uh, well, there's a, there's a concept in medical training that we learned uh, called the near effect, the near effect. And what it is is that no matter what stage you are in your training, if you're a third-year medical student, you're going to learn the most from the person who is one level in front of you or one year in front of you, as opposed to, you know, the internationally renowned expert, Dr. Bo Sanders, I would, as a third-year student, learn more from the fourth-year student. Um, and it's true at any level, that's, that's true. So I think about these young people, and, and if you're an eighth grader, you're thinking, man, I don't have much influence. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm young, I'm not in high school, you know, there's big upperclassmen and everything else. But, uh, you know, those seventh graders, they're looking at the eighth graders. And so as an eighth grader, you are a leader. You're leading uh, the ones behind you. Uh, and so I think that reminding us that no matter what phase of life, you are a leader and people are watching us and watching you. That's such a good reminder. Uh, Devin, what about you? Are there any um, myths that you've believed that, um, and maybe how have you fought those off? Yeah, I I do. Um, I think one of the biggest one is that it all has to look the same. Our relationship with God all has to look the same. And the reality is, is is coming up in, in leadership and in ministry, it doesn't. Like we have our own relationship. And I, I wrote something down, um, how to combat that. And, you know, I said, I don't, I don't combat it because, you know, God's word gives me an ability to have faith, to be humble, uh, to have awareness, and just to be in position to uh, understand that uh, his grace is sufficient for all of us, not just for me, not just for the leaders, um, but for all of us. And, and we have to, to stay there. Uh, in that. And that's the best way I can combat it. That's right. That's right. That's real good. All right. Thank y'all so much. So we see in verse 12, probably one of the most popular uh, verses ever for a children, youth, or college ministry. Um, Let no one look down on you because you are young. We've seen it on walls. We've seen it on 
on shirts. And then at some point in your 20s, that verse all of a sudden stops being applicable to you, right? Yeah, no. This verse is so rich for all believers of all ages because it's talking about your influence in spite of whatever the world might say about you, whatever lies the world is telling you, whether it's that you are young, whether it's whatever, then that somehow disqualifies you. And that's an easy lie to believe because it's very personal for each of us. It's very individual for each of us. The enemy is not very creative for each of us. And, um, and for each of us, he knows exactly what lie will disqualify us in our own eyes. And the trick here is, is that if we are disqualified in the first part of verse 12, let no one despise you because of your youth, then it doesn't even matter what the rest of the verse says. We've already pulled ourselves out. We've already disqualified ourselves because we are letting the enemy win in the first half of the sentence. And so if we let ourselves be disqualified, then we don't even get to enjoy the second half of that verse where it talks about setting an example setting an example in, in love, in, um, in conduct, in purity. Setting that example is so, so, so important. But in order for us to really believe that, we have to believe that we are also qualified. I don't know necessarily what, um, what skills or what gifts the Lord has given you, but the Lord has given all of us gifts for his kingdom. And um, if we are using that gift, then we have the opportunity to, to set that prime example in love and faith and purity and conduct, regardless of what anybody else says about who you are, as long as you believe what God says about you, then you are free to set that example. Don't let yourself be disqualified in the first half. Go ahead. You are qualified because of God, not because of you and your your accolades and your intellect and whatever, but because of God. And so because God says that you are qualified, then set the example for those around you. When we let X, Y, and Z keep us from leading out, we're already sunk. Let's hear from the panel. All right, so there's some good things there. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but then Trey also connected to what the world says about you. So, uh, Quell, um, when you hear that, when you say, don't let um, them dis disqualify you or despise you because of, how do you answer that? I'll say, I'll say, don't, uh, don't let anyone despise you because of your background or your disability. Um, being born and raised in the projects uh, in small New Orleans, uh, raised without both parents, um, a gang member as a teenager, and shot as a teenager, and now I'm confined to a wheelchair. Um, God has proven to me that he can still use my life for his glory. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to share my testimony with so many different people from all walks of life, rich, poor, black, white, 
um, believers and unbelievers, foreign, foreigners um, across the seas and in the states, um, all for the glory of God and all while being in a wheelchair. Um, I've been to places that I've never imagined that I could go. Um, I, I just uh, came back from a mission trip where I sailed on a boat for eight days down the Amazon um, and shared my testimony in so many different places, schools and churches. Um, and so God has just shown me I can be used coming from the projects all the way to the Amazon, you know. Um, so don't let anyone despise you for your disability or your background. God can use anyone. So, yeah. So good. That's so good. All right, Jerry, good luck following that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, but for you, but, awesome. uh, fr frame this for us. Um, how, what would you say? Don't let the world despise you because of? Yeah, I think, you know, personally, just thinking back, um, the, the long road that we've personally taken with training and school and residency and fellowship and seems to be always in a time of transition and in training. I think if Paul were speaking that to me, in retrospect, I would think he would say, you know, don't let anyone disqualify for you because you're inexperienced, because uh, you're in a time of, of training. You know, I think it's easy to say like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get real active once I'm done and I'm, you know, I'm in my practice and I'm out of school and all this. Um, and, and I think, you know, God obviously wants us to get involved now. He doesn't want us to wait to get involved and to serve. Um, and that's true for anyone, you know, if you're in New Orleans in a transition or in school or, or whatever the case, um, it's, it's t very tempting to say, I'm going to get involved or I'm going to do that when things are stable and things are, are easier. Uh, and so I think, yeah, just sort of don't wait, get involved. That's, that's, that's a really good word because I think that's a temptation for a lot of us just to, to wait till we have it all figured out or, or we're in the perfect situation. That doesn't really happen. So thank you. All right, Hannah, um, do you ever struggle with neglecting your gift? Um, yes. And so in thinking about that question, um, I reflected on that. I think a large part of using your gifts and your gifts being used by God are first recognizing your gifts. So it was a bit later in life where I was able to recognize how God had given me some unique gifts that were different from my brothers or my husband or different people I was usually in a team or a group with. Um, and so even in the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People about good leadership, um, the author says that one of the key habits is to always begin with the end in mind. And so I think once you've recognized how God's given you a unique gift, you can more um, fully conceptualize, you know, how he wants to use it and, and then begin to apply it in your work or your family. So I was gifted a lot with compassion and mercy, um, which isn't necessarily a key leadership quality you think of in a strong, bold, you know, robust leader. But, um, but I found that that unique gift has actually given me just a, a, an unstoppable motivation to do the work God has, has called me to do in my, in my work, my practice, the ministry, Baptist Community Health Services, also in my family. So while um, Jerry and I are gifted differently, me living out my gift and playing my role is very important to the whole. Um, and so that was the way I had probably neglected my gift by not really recognizing it. And then as I recognized it, being faithful to apply it with boldness and recognizing it as a strength. 
That's right. That's really good. And also, Hannah went to Zimbabwe with us, and when we went out of the, into the communities, it never failed that her group was the last group back because she was going to push on. She had that mercy, that compassion, and she wasn't going to give up or let go. And so we, we saw that clearly on that trip and, and, and how you use that. Uh, Devin, what about you? Are you ever um, tempted to, to neglect your gifting? Absolutely. I, th I think for me, and it may be for a lot of us out here, is am I worthy? You know, am I, am I worthy just to, to, to be a human being? Am I worthy to, to live? Am I worthy to be a musician or an advocate or a, a doctor or a CEO? Um, that's the first question that you ask when you wake up in the morning. Am I worthy to get the grace of God, the mercy? Um, and for me, I think we all are faced with that daily. But because of the cross, because of the blood, because of the grace, because of the mercy, I am. But we have to continue to instill that in ourselves daily. You know, you got to speak over your own life. If you don't, you might be in trouble um, because they may not have anyone understand, you know, what else that, that you may understand that God put inside of you. So am I worthy? And my answer to that is we all are. We just have to believe it because he gave us that ability to believe. That's great. That's great. Thank y'all. Has anybody here ever been on a d d diet or anything like that and experienced change, then gone back to whatever the habits were before the d d d d d uh, diet and held on to the changes that you experienced? Okay, no, right, that's not the point of it. The point is making a change, experiencing a change, and then continuing on with that change to, main, to maintain. One thing that we love, we love the idea of transformation. We love being trans, transformed from one state to the next, from maybe I'm like this and I kind of want to be like this, and so I want to go through this process of transformation. All of us in this room who have a relationship with Christ have been transformed, have been brought from death to life. And that is a beautiful, beautiful image. But the thing I think that we struggle with more than transformation is the sanctification that comes with it. It's not just about our lives being transformed, about being radically changed. That is crucial. But then everything that comes after that is a lifetime of being sanctified, of being made more like Christ on a regular basis. That's the hard part. Being, being transformed can be a journey, but then there's a whole other journey after that. And that is, that's, that is tough for us to wrap our minds around. And so Paul is looking at a leader and he says, leaders are works in progress. They have never made it. The people on these couches have not made it. That's not why they're here. They're here because they are works in progress who are letting us into their lives. And so when, when we look at practicing about being disciplined and then being an example and then being a work in progress, remember verse 10 from earlier? We toil and we strive. If you picture the word toil, 
Most of us don't picture someone frolicking through a prairie filled with flowers, right? It's like, man, look at that person toiling through the roses. That's great. Although roses would probably be a toil because of the thorns. So like, let's think like a less like a less thorny flower, right? So no one toils through an open, grassy field. Nobody gets excited about toiling. But really, our walk with Christ is this toiling journey of becoming more and more and more like Christ, never quite making it, and then eventually being reunified with Christ. That's not exactly what we put on like inspirational posters with someone standing free in the sunset, right? That's not what we put on it, right? But that is what our journey with Christ looks like a lot of the time. It is, it's tough. It's a grind. No one loves practice. Professional athletes, if they could just maintain their level of play with no practice ever, I'm sure that they would. But if you look at the comeback that um, Serena Williams had after having a baby and then still on top of the women's tennis world, that is not something that just happens. There's no like easy postpartum tennis championship opportunities, right? That is a tough road, and she toiled through that. And our journey with Christ is a tough road. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of discipline. And so here's the encouraging part. It's not necessarily inspirational poster worthy, but here's the encouraging part of verse 15. When When he says toil... Continue in this, persevere in this, immerse yourself in this process so that all may see your progress. Persist in this and you will save both you and your hearers. We don't, we don't, set, an ex, we don't set an example so that we can look back on our lives and say, man, I really could have had a lot of fun there. I really could have gotten that promotion there. I really could have made more money there. I could have done this, but man, I was too busy setting an example in love and conduct and purity and all of those things. That's not why we do it so that we can look back with regret at all the fun that we missed out on, right? We do it so that we look back when we are reunited with Jesus, hold it up to the sacrifice that he made on the cross and say, man, I didn't do enough. I did not do enough. When you look at your sacrifices here in relation to the cross, they are nothing. And so he calls us to toil because he toiled for us. He suffered and bled and died so that we could have a relationship with him. And so when he calls us to set an example, he's not asking us for something he did not do 1,000 times over for us. He set the example for us, and so we are to set the example for others. Let's hear from our panel. All right, Hannah, um, what are, uh, do you see yourself as a work in progress, and how do you show that to other people? 
Yes, so um, I could definitely see myself as a work in progress all the time. I'm um, excited that God is still working on me, and I've, I've been excited to see even, like Jerry was talking about with the near effect, Christians who are a few years ahead of me, the Lord still transforming and working in them has been a great encouragement to me. I think specifically as an example in the area of prayer, um, I've seen and people who've known me could see a difference um, in my prayer life. So for example, um, I used to pray more like it was a, an event during the day where I would save up all my prayer requests and all the times I'd said, I'll pray for that. I'll be sure and pray about that. And I would bulk process my prayer, praying, you know, at night or at my prayer time. And then some examples of leaders in my life, I just saw them start to pray more without ceasing and to pray more at the spot when an episode happened or when a request came, you know, in a conversation. And so I started to participate in that and mimic that, and that got really good and exciting, and it helped connect me to the presence and the power of God. And so the, pray, the verse that talks about praying without ceasing, that's begun to materialize more in my life. And I was thinking about it, and it's more like um, Wi-Fi. You know, it's something that's a connection that's always present, that's always there. It's like a universal Wi-Fi, whereas in college, my prayer life was more like, do I have my blue Ethernet cord? Can I plug it in and get access to the Internet? Um, but I've, I've grown in that aspect, and I think, you know, it's been um, demonstrable to people who've been around me. I know it's a big difference for me. That's great. That's great. What about you, Guy? What are some ways that you let people see that you're a work in progress? Well, as, as I look at the business career, I've had a lot of success, but one of the things we do is analyze failure. Make a lot of decisions. Fortunately, a lot of them have been good, but the ones that go wrong, we spend time on. It's easy to celebrate the successes, but I analyze failure, discuss the mistakes, look at what I did wrong, and then try not to do it again. Spiritually, the same thing. If I make a misstep, what happened? What, what was my motivation? Why did it happen? Accept God's forgiveness, learn the lesson, and then the most important part, God, in his mercy, chooses to forget our sins. And that's an incredible thing, but he says once he's forgiven us, once we've internalized the message, he in his divine omnipotence says, I've forgotten it. Right. Mm. And so then once I've internalized it and learned the lesson, I try and do the same thing, move on and accept his forgiveness and his grace. That's a great, that's a great advice. And Quill, what about you? How do, how do you let people see that you're a work in progress? Um, well, I try to be like as transparent as possible about my walk with Christ. Um, like Devin said, like we all have our own walks and it may look differently for everybody. Um, also, like I have a big following on social media. So I use that outlet like to share testimonials all the time about like seasons in my life, um, both high and low and like how God brought me through it. And um, also um, I share my testimony many times a year in different places, people will like call me out to share my testimony. And I just feel like that's an opportunity to just show people that I'm a work in progress and like how I started here and how God has brought me here. Um, also, I lead Bible study um, where I'm, I try to encourage women in New Orleans, specifically inner city of New Orleans, um, to have faith in Christ. And I share a lot of my life and like the work that God is doing in my life um, with them as well. Um, just like at one point I was being discipled by my, my best friend Lydia 
while she was going to seminary. And now I find it funny that now I'm at seminary and I'm also discipling some people. So it's just, it's just good to see that how God just, you know, does things. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. All right, Jerry, um, do you have a system of accountability or um, discipline that helps you as you're developing into, into a leader? I think, I think uh, so, I, you know, reflecting now on just the last several years of, of teaching, um, you know, young adults and then now in the youth, I think one of the greatest things about teaching is actually that the teacher spent that week in the Word. And, and I always found it was like the best, my best weeks if I go back and, you know, and analyze my year. It's, oh, yeah, I taught that Sunday. That's what, this was a really good week. Yeah. Uh, so I think practically for me what, what that's translated to is that I've spent – you know, really trying to be disciplined to spend time in the Word, even if I'm not teaching. And, and uh, again, practically what I've found really works well is there's an app on my phone. It's, uh, it's a Bible app. I'm sure there's a hundred of those. And, and there's a, a one-year Bible read-through plan that you can just subscribe to. It's completely free. Um, and then each day I get an Old Testament, New Testament passage, and a Psalm and a Proverbs. Um, and, and to just really commit to that, to make that a priority, uh, daily and and you know I've got this sort of safety net. If I'm teaching, I know I'm going to be studying the lesson. But if I'm not teaching, that's where I'm prone, and that's where it's really important. And guy, what about you? What uh, what do you have for accountability discipline um, that you can share with us? I think I need a lot of accountability. So <laughs> I also have a one-year Bible, and that's wonderful. I'd recommend that to everybody. Every every day you have a psalm. Yeah something from the Old and New Testament and a proverb. It's amazing how often the proverbs are applicable that day. I'm also a Bible study teacher, and so studying keeps me in the Word, and I learn something every single week. I'm also involved in a uh, prayer group. We've met for over 30 years. It's a men's group. We get together every Tuesday morning early and pray, and that helps a lot. And then finally, I've deliberately surrounded myself, both at work and socially, with people who know the standard that I'm trying to live up to, yeah. which is to be Christ-like. And that makes a big difference because you have people looking at you who know what you're trying to accomplish. Thank you all so much for sharing about your lives, your leadership, and um, how you're putting this into practice daily. So thank you all for doing that for us. We appreciate y'all being um, open and honest with us and, uh, and just kind of giving us a glimpse into y'all's um, lives. So we don't lean into being godly, right? God doesn't save us from the mountaintop of, of being the greatest of all time, right? We weren't saved because of how awesome we are, right? We are saved because we were sinners in need of a savior, Right, And so God is not surprised by that. We should not be surprised by that. When we regularly feed ourselves from the word, when we regularly put truth in and we keep lies out, our spiritual bodies maintain a level of health that they can't unless there is truth coming in. If there's no truth coming in, we cannot be surprised when lies take root and take hold and they start sounding true and truer and truer, right? When we, pers when we persist, when we toil through these things, when we are disciplined, 
in these things, God does really cool things. It's very hard to be transparent. It's hard to let people hold you to a standard. But we need to not only hold ourselves to the standard that God has for us, we need to let others hold us to that standard as well. That's part of being an example, is being willing for others to be looking. If we're not willing to have others look, it's going to be very hard to set an example. It's going to be very hard to be accountable if nobody even sees us. And we have to let that happen. It's easy to hide. It's easy to not let people in. But God has called us to that. God has called us to that. Jesus died for us so that we could have a relationship with him. But it doesn't stop with the transformation. We have to continue on with the sanctification process. God doesn't call us in halfway, right? We can't stop our jump into the pool in midair and be like, I'm good, right? Once you jump, you're going in. Let it happen. Jump in all the way. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you... um, are a God of transformation, God, that you change lives, God, that you have the ability to bring us from death to life. I thank you for all of the people in this room who you have brought from death to life. I pray for them as they walk, as they interact with other Christians and non-Christians, God, that they would set an example for what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. I pray that we as a church would be the standard for what love looks like. God, that the world wouldn't say, hey, church, aren't y'all supposed to love? God, that we would love because you have loved us. God, if there's anyone in this room who does not have a relationship with you, who has not been brought from death to life, God, I pray that you would just move in their hearts now. God, that you would just move in the spirits of their lives. God, I pray um, that as a church, we would be a church that is okay letting people into our lives individually, corporately, God, that we would just model that. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you have created us all to be. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.